0: Welcome to another edition of the 5 Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham and Ethan, I am buzzing after yesterday going to the Adrian R Center and watching MLS expansion come into the league. We saw the press conference, David Beckham and Don Garber officially shoot off confetti cannons and announce that they will be the 25th club into MLS in the 2020 season. And I'm fired up right now, Ethan. Yeah, I know. Well, you've been waiting
1: long enough for this. I mean, this has been so long in the works that I remember writing stories when LeBron was playing for the Heat about how he was going to be involved with this group. And then I remember asking him about it afterwards, and he kind of dodged the subject a little bit. And I figured, okay, maybe one of two things has happened here. Either that deal went south, or LeBron's not going to be in Miami that much longer. It turned out to be the latter, where he's not involved in it anymore. But it does uh, appear now that everything is all set, and we're going to get this soccer team... Down here in South Florida, which is going to give us, you know, one of the rare uh, cities in, in North America that has five professional teams in the major league uh, in that in that particular country. Good to add another team to the mix that uh, is able to get a fresh start.
0: And by the way, uh, they they revealed yesterday that we are only one of ten cities to have all five major sports team in America. So that's pretty distinguished company for. A city that has often been derided for its sports fandom that clearly all of the leagues view it as a place that they need to be. And I think that's sort of the, the the biggest point that they underlined yesterday. But what we want to talk about today is the five reasons why I think this is going to work more to the fact that they will supplant multiple sports franchises in terms of the interest pecking order in this market obviously the Panthers uh, there's not a ton of work to be done there but I think they can go ahead of the Marlins go ahead of baseball in this city and really challenge the Dolphins in the heat for the sports dollar now obviously they have way more tradition way more rooted in this market but I, I'm going to lay out a case here as to why I think that this can really take off in a way that challenges every sports team in this market, not just the Marlins and the Panthers, who are more abundant at the moment. Now, I'm not going to take
1: the other side, per se, because I do think this has a good chance to work. But just because you are so excited about this, I'm going to try to pull you back. Just a little bit. Um, I'm going to give you the Panthers and say that this team has a chance to surpass the Panthers in South Florida. Obviously, the Heat and the Dolphins have huge head starts, uh, so I'll challenge you there. I'm going to do something I don't normally do, Chris, which is I'm going to try to defend the Marlins here a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) So so this is going to be challenging for me, but but I do think there's a case to be made. As much as the Marlins have earned— their reputation for being a disappointment to South Florida sports fans. And it's only gotten worse this past uh, offseason with the ownership change. Hard to believe that was possible. But I am going to make a a case here that the Marlins still can stay ahead of this fledgling soccer franchise in South Florida. But this is going to be one of the more challenging five reasons for me to be able to make that case.
0: All right. So let's get straight into it. So let's start first with the ownership is the ownership that the Marlins should have had. Now, there is some talk this morning on uh, Levitard Show. Uh, We're taping this on a Tuesday, the day after the MLS Miami announcement, that Jorge Mas is perhaps overstating his position in terms of what financially he would have brought to the Marlins. But just from a sheer enthusiasm point of view, what their plans are point of view, when you compare the almost kind of publicly traded way that the Marlins are being run now, the fact that they're basically wedded to their investors and that they need to be operated as a business is the antithesis to what ends up working in professional sports. And now you've basically seen a full Astros happen with the Marlins where they're going to be the worst team in the league this year. And you're coming in, and that's your plan. Your plan is, we're going to be bad so that we can then be good. When you juxtapose that against what Jorge Mas did yesterday, which is fire everybody up, say you want to compete at the top echelon of the league. When I asked him about the money that some of the teams in, in MLS are spending to go and develop a really good team, he's like, we want to be right there with them. We want to compete. We didn't, we didn't do this to lose when basically you have to pay for about a three hundred to $350 million stadium, when you have to spend all of this money to go and put this team together, when it re- it's going to require a lot of money to go and do this, when that's their plan rather than we want to operate a salient business. I just think it's a totally different launching point. Well, and I think the Marlins
1: would have been much better off. As it turns out with Jorge Mas, even if he's overstating what he would have spent, just the fact that he was rooted here in South Florida and had a connection to the area, I always felt that he would be the best owner for this particular team. And I think the Major League Baseball made a major mistake in terms of valuing Jeter's name value, which really doesn't resonate In South Florida, I mean, I know there are a lot of transplanted New Yorkers and Yankee fans down here, and Jeter obviously was one of the faces of Major League Baseball for more than a decade. But he was not going to get the goodwill here in South Florida if he started doing the wrong thing simply because he was Derek Jeter. So I I do think that Jorge Mas is is a big boon to the soccer franchise, the fact that he is from South Florida, that he has business In South Florida, he's a name that's known here. All of that, I think, plays into it, and he has a passion for the area. So I I do agree with you. With that being said, I I don't know necessarily that ownership always makes the biggest difference uh, in in these cases. I I do think ultimately, although it's great that he says he wants to win and they're going to try to win, and we know that in South Florida you have to win to be able to draw people, ultimately that's what it's going to come down to is whether the people that are hired to make the soccer decisions and, and and we have to talk about how how involved Beckham's going to be with that the people who are hired to do that you know basically bring in the right players here to attract people out to the stadium uh, ultimately when their stadium is built we've seen that steve ross with the dolphins is willing to spend money says he wants to win right like that has been a consistent refrain from him i don't think there's been any question whether steve ross wants to win. I, I, I think we we argued that maybe Loria doesn't. We're saying now that maybe the group that bought the Marlins doesn't. But we know that Steve Ross wants to win. He just hasn't been able to win because the people that he's hired haven't made the right decisions on a consistent basis, and he's trusted the wrong people. And we we did a whole pot on that. So that would be my only thing. I, I think it's, it's beneficial that Jorge Mas is involved. I don't think it's a guarantee that you're going to have success.
0: Yeah. And, and it does come down to how much they're willing to go out and spend because I think you can outspend your competition. And so you look at the top teams in MLS... The Seattle Sounders have both outspent but also built a foundation that I think is probably the best foundation in the league. They've reached MLS Cup the last two years. Toronto FC have flatly outspent the rest of the league. New York City FC have flatly outspent the rest of the league. Atlanta United came in last year. They spent $8 million on one player. That's before they even paid his salary. They spent fifty million million this offseason to bring in a player from Argentina named Ezekiel Barco who's 18 years old. And... They are outspending the rest of the league. And last year, as an expansion team, they came in and did this. And that's why I think the ownership does play a role, is I'm a little surprised at Steven Ross, when they were looking for local ownership, when they were looking for someone to basically save this franchise from life support, because that's the thing we learned yesterday, was that Jorge Mas, had he not come in, there wouldn't be MLS Miami. This wouldn't exist.
2: Marcelo was very honest up there, and it was in December that um, I called him and I said, I'm coming to New York you know this i uh, just can't see any way through now you know we've tried everything we've spent a lot of money a lot of time uh, over the last 4 years and we've exhausted it we can't go any further because we're not getting any closer and we was we were both sat there like depressed like young kids just you know discussing how we you know what's going to happen next and then all of a sudden we looked at each other and was like you know what it's Let's just one more. T- one, let's have one more try, because he'd also had obviously an email from the Mass Brothers a, a, a few weeks earlier. He said, "Let me just try one more thing," and that's when it all happened. Then, within two weeks, we met with uh, Jorge and Jose, and two months later, we're sat here and we're announcing, and it's it's unbelievable. But that was obviously the missing part. The missing part was up for us was local partners, local partners that know the know the area, know the city. And are respected.
0: And so he comes in at the 11th hour to save the thing, and now he's all about it. And I think he's going to compete at the top level of the league. But I'm surprised that Steven Ross didn't get in because I do think in this sport, owners can make a difference. Because when you compare the two expansion teams that came into the league last year, Atlanta and Minnesota, Minnesota did not spend nearly, not even close, to the amount of money that Atlanta did and Minnesota Was like a real expansion team. They struggled quite a bit and they struggled to find their footing and they finished near the bottom of the league. But you compare to Atlanta, they came in and spent a ton of money with Arthur Blank as their owner. They drew 48,000 on average a game. They got up to 66,000 a couple of times. That is the difference between looking like an expansion team and looking like one of the league's best teams from day one. You can be one of the league's best teams from day one, and the difference is the owner. So I think that enthusiasm that's gathering behind him, and that's gathering behind the other big money in this group, will contribute to success from day one, which I think is a vital part of this, and and we'll get to this in a second, but I think starting well from day one is a huge part of this either working or not working.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things we're going to get into is that that first year for them is going to be a little bit for the soccer franchise is going to be a little crazy with uh, not being in their own stadium yet. And that's one of the things I think they've got working against them at the very beginning. You mentioned Atlanta. Atlanta is for the strong bull case is a really good example because averaging 48,000 in attendance, as you mentioned, uh, you know, drawing over 60,000 a couple of times. And we think of Atlanta as a sports city somewhat akin to the Miami area. Um, it does not have a great reputation as a sports city. I mean, that's a place that has lost two hockey teams. And the basketball team, even when the Hawks were good, still had empty seats there. And now there's no one going to those games. The Falcons, you know, have drawn at times, particularly for Michael Vick. They draw now. But but they've had the – and the Braves, you know, a lot of times when the Braves were, were making the postseason, they made the postseason, you know, basically over the – Course of a decade, every year, and yet a lot of their their uh, their first round games would not be sold out. So you're talking about a uh, a sports area in Atlanta that's had its problems, and yet clearly this franchise resonated with there. I was a little surprised when I looked over the attendance numbers at MLS. Some of the cities that were towards the top, and some of the cities that were towards the bottom, are not the way that we typically think of sports cities. For instance, uh, you know Dallas. Uh, what was last in the league uh, in attendance, averaging 15,000? Uh, New England, uh, the Revolution, averaging a little over 19,000, and yet again, as you mentioned, Atlanta, uh, averaging 48,000. I know some of it has to do with with size of stadium, etc., but and location. But still, some of the figures in there in the in attendance do help make the case that you don't necessarily have to be a great sports area or considered a great sports area to do well in this particular
0: league. Correct. So I know that's a case that you want to make. And that is, to me, everything. And I think a lot of people were making this case. Oh, but Miami is a sports city, and I think they they did that a lot to Atlanta. To me, how American sports resonates, whether it's hockey or basketball or baseball or football, is entirely different to how soccer resonates, particularly with young people and particularly with people of color, right? So let, let's talk about you know, Latinos and, and the breadth of demographics that are in this market. Soccer reaches people that are not American sports fans. So, for example, you know, we talk about you know, television ratings when it comes to the NCAA tournament or television ratings when it comes to the World Series. And people sit around and go, oh, Miami's near the bottom. The people that aren't watching those things watch soccer. And that for me is a massive part as we now transition to reason number two, the benefit of a clean slate. And I do think that getting this announcement where there's all this energy and positivity, positivity is not a word that gets associated a lot with Miami sports. And whether it's the University of Miami going from being one of the great all-time college football programs to doing nothing for a period of 12 years, whether it's the Panthers making the Stanley Cup Finals and struggling to even make the playoffs in the year since, whether it's the Dolphins are still on a period of, what, 17 years without a playoff victory, there's so much negativity right now in the sports market, obviously with the Marlins as well, what's happened both with success and also the... Ownership situation, whether it was Lori or the current group, there's so much negative feeling, there's so much bad impressions. That I think the opportunity to make a clean first impression, come into the league and establish yourselves as a top competitor is such an opportunity for this group that they can straight away make a massive impression simply as being the fun, positive experience in Miami sports rather than what this fan base has been served so much of. Yeah, well, and again, the only
1: one that, the only franchise that has had success uh, on a consistent basis over the past 20 years is the Heat, and they've built. A rapport with their fans that is now, you know, it's sort of outdistanced the big three years. Where now there's a generation of fans that will be attached to the Heat for a long time. Although they've they've had to work for it too, with with the kind of team that they have
0: right now, which doesn't have a superstar to draw you into the arena. Right. And I think a lot of people thought in the post-Wade era that they would struggle for attendance or that they would struggle to maintain that relevancy. And yes, it's not at big three levels, as you mentioned, but still Miami rates really well when it comes to the NBA finals. Local television ratings are still good. They still draw decent crowds. It hasn't dropped off at the level that I think a lot of people might have expected. Well, and I think one of the
1: things that you mentioned that is important, the non-white sports fan. That has been a major audience for the Heat, obviously, Mm -hmm. over the past few years. And, you know, as I, I look at, you know, when I was covering the Heat all those years, who my Twitter followers would be, who our radio listeners would be when we were talking Heat. And typically it was younger and more diverse. That's trended towards the Heat. Whereas the Dolphins case, if you look at what their audience has been, it's been, it's more, more so than the Heat older and whiter than the heat audience. And and I think that backs it up. And we've talked to, you and I used to have this conversation on air about license plates, right? Like yeah. that, 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 that the heat license plates were outselling the, you know, you, you saw heat license plates everywhere. You never saw dolphin license plates anywhere. And I think the figures that we looked up actually backed up that case. I do think that obviously soccer, we talk about how popular it is. International. This is an international city in Miami, the areas around Miami, Doral, Hialeah, et cetera, that this is going to draw, you would expect it to draw very well with that particular audience. With that being said, the only thing I would caution about that is that the Marlins for years talked about, and in some cases actually made an effort to reach out to a particular community in the market, the Cuban community, with, in my view, not all that much success, right? I mean, we can talk about Jose Fernandez during that period of time, and maybe that drew a few more people. But it never got sort of the bump from that particular community that I remember the Marlins talking about, Back in, you know, when, when that franchise was formed back in what was in 1993. And it was always said, well, part of it is because of where the stadium is and all the rest of that. And they put the stadium, obviously, in downtown Miami now, right in the heart of the Cuban community. And the team's st- in a beautiful stadium as opposed to the stadium that they had up on the Broward Dade line. And they still really haven't drawn that community the way. That they expected. So, I do think it certainly helps, and we talk about the demographics in this area, and the way the demographics have changed, and and getting in with the younger crowd. As you see with the Heat, uh, again, if you go around and just see what kids are wearing, they're typically wearing Heat jerseys, not Dolphins paraphernalia. And I I do think that this soccer team can play into that same thing, but I I don't think, again, as I said with the
0: ownership, I don't think it necessarily is a Mm given if the team doesn't win. But I think you also just highlighted the point of having a clean slate. So, So yes, they dropped the stadium in the middle of Little Havana, but the Marlins have so much ill will in this market that even when they did move into a new stadium, it wasn't going to be this panacea for people hating them. People hated the Marlins for what they did in breaking up the 98 team, trotting out a product year in and year out that wasn't competitive, that wasn't going to make the playoffs, for having the lowest payroll in the league, for bilking the city out of $480 million in public money. There's still so much negativity there that even with the connection of a sport to a community because you're absolutely bang on that this area should be supporting baseball. Look at what happened with the World Baseball Classic. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what this market should be with baseball. But it's not a guarantee that you translate it from... The numbers, right? The numbers of, you know, Hispanics, South Americans, Central Americans, people from the Caribbean that live in this area that are prone to supporting soccer, just as there are people who, you know, Venezuelans, Cubans, Dominicans that are prone to supporting baseball, you know, along with Puerto Ricans as well. That's baseball Hispanic. There's baseball Hispanic and there's soccer Hispanic, and I think there is a distinct difference. But when you look at the connections between the community, I think that, yes, MLS Miami has to do work in getting these people, but I think the fact that they aren't prone to hating it to begin with is a massive part in in, in trying to create that positive feeling. So I do think the fact that they are starting from a better place. bad place that they are starting from is people are sour on the venue and, and where it's going to be and the lack of parking and, and the details and getting there and the fact that they've been told that we're getting MLS in Miami for four years now. And I think it really took yesterday Don Garber saying, no, 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 no. this is the awarding of an expansion team and you're starting in 2020. We're serious this time. I do think that kind of stop start stuff has really led a lot of people to thinking, well, is this really going to happen? I really do believe that there are still people who don't think this is going to happen. Oh, no, I agree with you. And I I do think that the
1: delays have hurt some of the momentum. That that will have a chance to rebuild, uh, particularly if the franchise does what it said it was going to do yesterday, which is make announcements every few weeks. If they can get people to some of these events to build some of this enthusiasm but again just to play a little devil's advocate here I, clearly there's a fresh start but clearly there are questions that people have about about what this is going to look like at the very beginning the first year not having a stadium where they decide to play how much they play at uh, at the stadium up on the Dower, uh, you know I, i'm still calling it joe robbie so up at joe <laughs> robbie stadium and then you know when they get the stadium built you know, how people get there. And I know you were there yesterday at the press conference and can speak a little bit more to this, but you know, people in South Florida like to complain. Uh, Let's just be honest. (laughs) I'd like to find excuses, and so you know, if if it becomes too challenging to get down there, if the public transportation is not what was promised, um, obviously we know that there's a parking situation. there, not exactly a glut of parking spaces. If all of those issues play into it, people may decide that although the franchise has a fresh start in terms of winning and losing and disappointing people or not disappointing people, they may just you know feel that it's not worth going out and making you know sort of the time investment to deal with that if it's not a pleasurable experience and you know we've already seen this is not as much a case obviously as in the NFL where people sit around watching Sunday ticket all day and would rather watch you know a, a dozen games over a weekend as opposed to one but we have seen that in in you know recent years you know this has trended towards more of a stay at home type of economy we're we're looking at right now where people are you know sort of accustomed to staying in on the weekends and getting their entertainment that way and whether or not they're going to venture out for the day to watch a soccer match uh, again a lot of that is going to come down in my view to you know how you know pleasant they or at least hassle free they can make the experience.
0: Yeah, and I I do think that does play a role in some respects when you look at the way that sports fans are staying at home more now. But I do think, as I transition now to reason number three, I do think that MLS is one of the sports that is establishing itself as – sort of TV-proof in certain respects. As a matter of fact, they're struggling on the TV side to draw whether it's local television viewership or national television viewership. They aren't a league that's doing very well on television at the moment, which is one of the big things that they have to address. But one of the reasons why is because fans like going to the stadium to be a part of the atmosphere rather than watching it on television. If you're a Seattle Sounders fan, I'm going to join the 47,000 people that are at that stadium and enjoying that atmosphere rather than watching it on television. I actually do think that this is a spectator sport in person more than it is on television. And so I do think from a momentum point of view, this is a league that is striking young people, diverse people, and I think this is the sport of young people. They watch the Premier League. They watch Barcelona, Real Madrid. They watch the Champions League. And now, I do think we're seeing, market by market, once a city gets a team, they're like, oh we have a team in our backyard, let's go and support it, let's go and make this a party. And I do think that a lot of people have said that Miami isn't an MLS market because they're into the world's best and the world's teams and all that, or their team from their countries. But I do think when you give them the opportunity to, to support a local game that's in, the leagues, that, that's in the country's top domestic league, I do think they show up for it. So I think from a momentum point of view, you're seeing it city by city, this grow to a degree in which I think their momentum is better than hockey and their momentum is better than baseball right now. Well, I would agree it's better than hockey.
1: No question about that. And, and I do think that what we've seen with baseball, obviously, the trend has been going down for a long period of time. Although I will say, and it's, it's hard to see it from South Florida because we are so sort of entrenched in Marlin futility and Marlin disappointment, but the, the ratings in baseball have come back a little bit over the past couple of years. Um, Sunday Night Baseball was up 8% the World Series. Now, they're never going to get to where they were. I don't think they'll ever get again to where they were in, say, 1986, where the uh, the Mets Red Sox series you know, had 36 million viewers. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no wonder everybody runs, you know, remembers the ball going through Buckner's legs, right? That had a rating. In, in 1986, baseball's rating for the World Series was 28.6, 36 million viewers. In 2012, that was a series, I think, between the Giants and the Tigers, that bottomed out at 7.2, the rating, 12.6 million viewers. So a third of the viewers, a quarter of the rating that Major League Baseball had had 26 years earlier. But the past couple of years it's sort of it's spiked up a little bit. Now, some of this was the novelty of the Cubs being in the World Series 2 years ago and that being a really compelling series, you know, against the Indians, 22 million viewers last year, you know, with the Astros and the Dodgers and obviously that's two large markets in Houston and Los Angeles. But the numbers in baseball are starting to go back the right direction. But, you know, I I've, you know, criticized Major League Baseball for a long long time for squandering their lead over the NBA, I mean, at one point they had a lead over the NFL by not promoting their own players. And and in Major League Baseball, I mean, you know, Mike Trout could still go- walk down the street in most places in this country, and and people would not know who he was. And you're talking about somebody who is in the top three players in baseball over the past five years, and, and that's the way it's been now in baseball for a long time. But I do think that baseball's starting to come back. A little bit. And it still obviously has the history on its side that MLS does not have. So I'm not quite there where I'm ready to say that MLS is ready to overtake MLB in any significant way. I will say the one thing that does benefit MLS in this particular market more so than any other is that you, you are talking about fewer matches or games than, than you are in baseball. And soccer, the, in MLS, the fact that you have you know 17 home matches, 34 in all, as opposed to the you know the eighty one home games and one hundred and sixty two in baseball, I do think that helps it's less of a commitment than major league baseball is and, and I don't know necessarily that this market has always wanted to make the commitment we've never had and and when you and I were doing radio, we hardly did any of this and and I just thinking back to all the shows down here. We, 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 it's never been a market that has sort of you know spent three hours on the radio the next day talking about a pitching change right. It's just exactly. not right <laughs> right I mean because because there's cause there's, a, there's a game that night and and people are sort of you know whatever they watch the night before they're over it, this market likes to complain about the dolphins on Monday and then kind of move on to talking about the heat during the week and and there really hasn't been a place for that with the Marlins so again, I, I think the fact that there are. Fewer matches; it's less of a commitment than at least baseball is. Obviously, it's less than half of what uh, of what hockey and basketball are. I do think that's helpful.
0: All right. So as we move now to reason number four, I think one of the opportunities that MLS Miami has is to be a flagship franchise in their respective league. And I think right now only the Heat are a flagship franchise, or you know, in, in the in the specter of college sports, a flagship program in their respective leagues or, or sports, right? So I think when, you, when the world looks at the United States of America in terms of cities you want to be in, I think Miami is somewhere in the top four. L.A., New York, Vegas, Miami. Miami. I think that's the pecking order. Miami might, probably is third in that pecking order. In the eyes of some, might even be number one. Look at the number of professional footballers who play uh, in Europe and spend their summers here. Cristiano Ronaldo is here all the time. You see you know, players like Paul Pogba have vacation here every single summer and they're hanging out here. I think the international soccer community views Miami as a place I want to be, a place I want to play, a community I want to live in. And I think only the Heat, by virtue of their success, have created a scenario where they are among the teams that you would list. You know, any major free agent, or oh, maybe they can go to Miami. Gordon Hayward almost came here without really the, the Heat having much to sell, frankly. And I think that is a great job by the Heat having done that over the course of time, but it took the work to do it. MLS Miami can be that from day one because of two things. Number one, That thing that I mentioned about how they are viewed as a top destination for soccer players around the world. Lionel Messi was on Instagram yesterday saying, hey, maybe in a few years, give me a call. That's Lionel Bleep and Messi, one of the best players ever to play the game. But the second thing is also because you have David Beckham in charge, he has that aura, that... Ability to get on the phone with anybody. Neymar was mentioned, there was a video of him in, in the release. I mentioned Messi. These are the best players in the world and you have a connection point with David Beckham in charge of the team. And I think there is no limit to who Miami MLS can bring in, and straight away, the second they kick a ball, they're one of the most famous teams in the league. They'll be one of the teams featured most on national national television. When you compare that to the Dolphins or the Marlins or the Panthers, who are never on national TV, I think you can come straight in and make that impact as one of the league's signature franchises. It's an amazing opportunity, and one that I think the other teams in this market just don't have. I agree with you on that. I think the
1: Dolphins were at one point uh, considered a marquee national franchise. I, I think you see some of that when you go to road Dolphin games and you see how Dolphin fans still populate a lot of stadiums Around the country, and and that a lot of that is is sort of left over from the '70s, and and then and then, Marino and then and from Marino's era too. And, and yeah, the, the people who are going to those games, a lot of them are wearing Marino jerseys, right? And they're, they they tend to trend a little bit older as well. And I do think that the Dolphins squandered an enormous head start here in South Florida, and and are and are no longer one of the the core national franchises. Of the NFL, I mean, you think the the Cowboys, you think the Steelers, you think the Packers, you think now the Patriots, you know, and, and and to a certain degree, I think the Raiders have kept that marquee, even though they've struggled in recent years. But you you don't you know you don't think of the Dolphins in that capacity, and that's and as we see, uh, every time that they get a national
0: TV game, they get slaughtered, right? We've right, had exactly, and they hate, <laughs> yeah. and frankly, the the national fans complain, oh God, we got to watch the Dolphins again. <laughs> that's not the right. feeling you want to create.
1: No. And, and the heat, you know, the heat obviously created a different culture of themselves. Although, again, a lot of that was tied even when they had Riley. And certainly that helped the marquee down here. You know, it, it really took the you know LeBron and, and the big you know even when they had Riley and Wade and and then before well, that I think, you and started,
0: I think it started with Shaq right because you're, you're, right. you're getting put on the the signature Christmas Day game for instance like the mm-hmm. flagship Christmas Day game is Shaq against Kobe and Miami is the team you want to watch on the NBA regular season's biggest day so I do think that that helped too that was kind of yeah. the launch the entry point into Miami being a really flagship franchise
1: yeah and that and I was you're talking 2004 2005 two thousand six six there and then and then for a few years there it, it faded and then lebron comes in so uh, i what what the heat have shown what riley has shown uh, what the organization down there has shown is if you have a stable organization that that you can then sell miami in a big way. You can sell this area. And certainly, you know, the Heat have played into everything that, that has to do with Miami. I mean, even look at the, the Miami Vice uniforms that they're or, you know, the jerseys that they've mm-hmm. been wearing lately. Like they they represent Miami. I also think it helps them that they're in Miami. Um, and that was one of the in things downtown? that Riley's. Right, that was one of the things that Riley said when when he came was, you know, when they after they came whether they're going to, you know, build an arena. I you know, I didn't come down here uh to coach in Broward. And and although I live in Broward and have lived in Broward for a long time, clearly it doesn't have the national Marquee. That's why we see every time that there's a game at Sun Life Stadium, uh, they decide to show uh, they decide to show South Beach on TV as if Sun Life Stadium. You just walk right outside, right past the Walmart, and there's <laughs> sand. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, they've been doing that for years and years. So um, here's I, here's a Sonic, and then there's the beach. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just pull pull right up and, and grab your <laughs> shovel. Um, but. So, I, I do think the fact that this team also is based is going to be ultimately, after the first year at least, based in downtown Miami. Um, it, it certainly is easier, even if if you're not in an area that is considered an upscale area of downtown Miami, and that's more of an issue for the people who are going to the matches than sort of the national perception. Because on television, they're still going to show South Beach, right? They're still going to, you know, that's that's what they're going to feature down there. So uh, all of that, I think, helps. And I, I do agree with you that they have a chance to be a flagship franchise. We know a lot of international players, you know, have condos on South Beach or in downtown Miami, so they're already based here to some degree, and that will certainly help so all of those things play into your argument there that this has a chance but again it's going to have it's going ultimately come down to not just can you get a star who's you know a big star who's well past his prime but but can you get can you fill out the roster with good young players that the community can can grow with? Correct, that, that are, that are diverse,
0: right, that are from right. all the areas in Central and South America that can have connection points in this market. But I think also, uh, you mentioned famous, uh, the, the word famous. I do think from day one, they have fame by virtue of having David Beckham as part of their ownership group. You look at the fact, I mean, I checked yesterday, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it again, I think he's at like 41 million followers on Instagram, mm-hmm. which is an insane figure. You look at, for example, so yesterday, they have a whole launch plan, right? And the first tenant of the launch plan is put David Beckham on Good Morning America. Is there any other owner? Is there any other player in MLS or, frankly, in South Florida sports, oddly enough, other than Derek Jeter, who kind of ruined that, but is there any other figure in South Florida sports that's getting on Good Morning America with the launch of a team? There's nothing even close well I, I would say not with the the launch of a team,
1: although if again we come back to the Marlins here if 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 they'd handled this thing a little bit better right having Jeter as the face, and I know Jeter is not the international star that Beckham is, right? Okay, mm-hmm. but, but at least in this country, having Jeter as the face of the franchise, that again I think is where Major League Baseball was going with this and why Rob Manfred agreed to allow a group that was, you know, with Bruce Sherman's group that was significantly underfunded to buy this franchise was in large part because they had Jeter as the face of it, and yet Jeter's face uh, is not such a positive thing. Right now, like it's hard to put Jeter out there. I saw even the other day. Uh, he won some American icon award at, uh, for Joe DiMaggio Hospital and I, I saw some of the comments under it and I remember going to that event, you know, when Pat Riley was honored a couple of years ago and I saw some of the comments under it and I was like and, and one of the comments was, did Jeter sell his dinner? You know, he doesn't have a positive reputation down here Correct. in South Florida. Beckham still does, right? And so that's that's obviously helpful and, and and clearly to be able to get on national programming, it's good not just for South Florida, but it's good for the league as a whole, so I certainly think that can help. But again, I, it's going to come down, in my view, to can they attract, as you said, a diverse group of young players
0: mm-hmm.
1: that play with uh, style, be able, by the way,
0: because you can't you can't play like the, the the traditional English style of you know punt a long ball forward to their six foot four striker who nods the ball down and tries to whack it from 25 yards out into the top corner. That's not going to fly here. So I, I do think this team has to both have quality young players from around the world, but also play with a style that resonates with the people of this market. But I just, I still think, though, they had a separate group of media yesterday just for the UK, right? So you have a reach into the foreign market and arguably sort of the, the, the biggest country for soccer press in Europe. With, with the UK with that sort of press machine you have an international and national connection with this team before they've signed a player, before they've kicked a ball before they put a shovel in the ground to build a stadium and I just think when you have that kind of standing in the league before you've even played a game you're eclipsing basically every team in the league except the New York teams the LA teams and Atlanta right now and maybe Portland and Seattle just based off of their tradition and so I think with the Heat built up through 20 years of winning and success, Miami has without without any of that. And I think that, that does play a, a, a pivotal role in sort of this growing from day one. But as we get to reason number five here, I think this is the biggest point. Soccer in Miami makes more sense than any other sport in Miami. Now you can talk about, I, I think actually of the other sports, baseball is the one that does make the most sense, just based off of the, as I said, the difference between baseball Latin and soccer Latin. But, I just think the reason why Don Garber didn't punt on this idea when it failed as the Miami Fusion in 2001 that was folded, when Barcelona and Marcelo Clore presented a MLS expansion team in 2007, which uh, collapsed under the weight of the financial crisis, when David Beckham presented this idea four years ago... And they never gave up on it. The reason why they have sustained and endured through all of this is because they realize that of the cities in America to have a soccer team... Miami is the one that makes the most sense. There is no demographic population anywhere in the United States that makes more sense to place a top-level soccer team than in Miami, Florida. Now, are there things that are difficult that are, that are going to you know, need to be ironed out to make that work? Are they going to need to be successful? Every team needs to be successful to work, but... I just think that in this city, if you were to say which of the major leagues makes the most sense, it is soccer. And I think when you look at, for example, hockey expanding into this market, that's just them trying to have a geographical footprint in a major market. It hasn't worked. Even basketball, all the other major sports that have expanded here, it's mostly been recently, and it's mostly been because... This is sort of the gateway to the southeast. This is the biggest city in the southeast of the country. And they're basically leagues that are trying to be nationwide. Whereas this market with this sport makes too much sense.
1: Well, and I think when you look at the reasons why each of those franchises expanded down here. Let's obviously the you know the Dolphins you're looking at you know gotta go back to nineteen sixty six, but if you look at the other three franchises, what the arguments that were made for each, for the Panthers, the argument was you have a lot of snowbirds in South Florida. And to a certain degree that argument is proven true because the arena does fill a little bit during those two weeks in December and January, yeah, when where the you, Maple Leafs and the Canadians and the, Canadi- and the Canadians and the and the Flyers and the Bruins come down and and the Rangers and and you see that place fill up a little bit. But it's the other months of the year. That don't translate quite as well with baseball. Again, that argument was made about the Cuban community down here. But the stadium was put in a place that didn't really work for the Cuban community necessarily. And we obviously saw all of the ownership issues and sort of the selling off players and everything else that eroded trust in the community with the heat. I'm not sure what the argument was. Back in one thousand nine hundred and eighty eight was the same time as the as Charlotte also entered the nba but but you did have Miami, which was growing as a city at that point, um, and you thought that you know you had a small arena, fifteen thousand people at Miami arena you thought that it could support and and for the, for the most part the the franchise did reasonably well, even though it struggled on the court in the first few years so i I do think when you 're talking about a case to be made for the soccer franchise, the case is probably stronger. Uh, I would agree than it was for the other three franchises, and as we mentioned earlier, you know sometimes uh, the market itself, you know, sort of plays tricks on you in terms of what the expectation game is. We talk about attendance, you know, again, Atlanta uh, would not be a franchise that we would talk about as leading a league in attendance, um, no. and it's it's and really with the exception of Seattle, uh, it's not even really close. I mean, Atlanta averaged 48,000. This past year, Seattle, uh, 43,000. And then you you drop down to Toronto, which, you know, again, an international city um, close to although although not, you know, a, a huge Hispanics population, Orlando. Again, another market that, if you talk about the Tampa-Orlando market, has sort of struggled to support teams, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Rays have had their trouble over the years. The Magic have had some problems over the years. They built a new arena at Amway. They haven't really won since they've been there. And, and, again, they don't really sell out consistently, and yet drawing 25000 in Orlando. So, uh, you know, certainly Miami has, you know, just on the face of it, would seem to have a stronger case than than, than Orlando and Atlanta, uh, for you know, for a franchise, so I I do agree with you in in that sense. Um, it's it's going to come down in large part to execution with the franchise itself because I don't think you can rely on just growth of MLS to be able to carry over the top here. Right. Uh, I I think it's going to come down to how well this team is put together, and I do think your point about style makes a difference one of the problems that the dolphins have had in recent years is not just that they've been bad or mediocre because they haven't really been bad they've just been mediocre they win between six and what i mean with a rare exception of a 10 or 11 here or there they basically win between what six and nine games every year the 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 problem with the dolphins is they've been bad and they've been boring but again i do think style with with this particular franchise is going to matter And, and it has to it has to you know it has to be vibrant uh, in some way. And I do think because soccer fans in particular are so knowledgeable, it, it has to appeal to the style itself has to appeal to the particular fan base or demographic that you're targeting here, particularly, and, when,
0: particularly when I think the preferred team of a lot of these fans that we're talking about is a team like Barcelona or Real right. Madrid who play with the utmost style.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I don't think that you, I I agree with you. I think if you were to play sort of a uh, you know, more English style or something like that or a more plotting mm-hmm. type style, that that's not going to register with the fans down here. I I, I think they're they're too discerning Agreed. and 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 they're just not it's just not going to go for it.
0: So I think the my my ultimate point in all of this is I don't think bad franchises work anywhere. I don't think you could put a bad team with bad ownership and a bad playing style anywhere and make it work. But if you put a quality product out, if you have good ownership that's willing to spend the money and compete at the highest levels, I don't think that there's a chance that this won't work. And so, yes, they have work to do, they have logistics to work out, but I just think that straight away they can come in with this clean slate, and because expansion teams don't have to struggle like in other sports, right? So you have, you know, yes, the Vegas Golden Knights are an exception in the NHL, but for the most part, new teams come in, you're picking from the bottom of of, of other teams' rosters, and you don't get to have a quality product from day one. MLS Miami can. They can go out and sign Cristiano Ronaldo from day one, and and I think he's sort of a perfect player that's of the age range to, to pluck off from Europe. You can go and sign quality young players from South America, spend as much as you like. They can do everything that it takes to win from day one, and I think that opportunity... In this market, will lead it to be successful. All right, so that'll do it for this edition of the Five Reasons Podcast, breaking down MLS Miami. We'll have a couple more this week. We'll want to get to uh, maybe tomorrow or Thursday the Dolphin situation at quarterback. We'll want to do a Heat podcast this week as well. So plenty to come. Do stay subscribed on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, which are the three platforms we are on right now. That'll do it for us on the Five Reasons Podcast.